With the Planet Fitness Black Card, you don't just get a great workout, you get a great perk out because your membership is packed with perks. Join for just $1 down and $24.99 a month. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and get all the perks. Deal ends November 22nd. See Home Club for details. With the Planet Fitness Black Card, you don't just get a great workout, you get a great perk out because your membership is packed with perks. For $1 down and $24.99 a month, you'll get perks like access to any of our 2,400 clean and spacious locations. Bring your friend anytime and both work out with tons of equipment that'll give you that big fitness energy. Relax in the Black Card Spa and more. Work out and perk out with the PF Black Card. Join for just $1 down and $24.99 a month. Sign up for the PF Black Card for $1 down and get all the perks. Deal ends November 22nd. See Home Club for details. Studio One 6.5 from PreSonus is here. The latest update to Studio One 6 brings you state-of-the-art immersive audio recording, editing, and mixing features, along with seamlessly integrated latest generation Dolby Atmos tools you won't find in any other digital audio workstation. Discover a three-dimensional field of sound, whether you're using discrete monitors or creating unique mixes in your headphones. To get your copy of Studio One 6.5, visit PreSonus.com. Pelican Craft Brands is a proud sponsor of the ABV Podcast. Everyone at Pelican knows that creating a craft beer universe in a craft beer desert is no easy task. They put it all on the line for the little guy by bringing quality 100% American craft beer to Louisiana. They work hard to keep your beer fresh so your experience is maximized. Make sure to honk when you see their little red trucks on the road and pick up some craft beer to challenge the status quo from Pelican Craft Brands. Cafecito Coffee Roasters is another great company that we partner with here on the ABV Podcast because not only do we love craft beer, but we also love craft coffee as well. Small batch craft roasted coffee that is roasted daily so they can control the roasting process and deliver to you a great quality product. Best coffee. I drink it all the time. You should as well. Check them out online, cafecito.com. That's C-A-F-E-C-I-T-E-A-U-X.com. You need the proper glassware to drink your beer and your whiskey out of. And you can find it at Hops in the Hollows. Go to hopsinthehollows.com. And when you purchase your glassware from the website at checkout, use the promo code ABV and you save 10% on your total order. That's ABV promo code at checkout at hopsinthehollows.com. That's hopsinthehollows.com. beer, cocktails, wine, and spirits. We like drinking them, and we love talking about them, too. We do both right here on the ABV Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ABV Podcast. I'm Chuck P. I've got another two-parter for you. Part one for your ear holes today is from Crying Eagle Brewing. First time I've ever recorded at Crying Eagle, which I don't understand how that is a thing. I feel like I should have been over there a few times by now to podcast, but it is in Lake Charles, two hours away from here in uh, Baton Rouge, so I guess it kind of makes sense. But I was there with my good friend and my hetero life mate, Jada Cody. We sat down and talked with owner Eric Avery. Uh, it was a long conversation. Eric asked how long the podcast normally goes for, and I told him, you know, I try to go for about an hour, a little bit over an hour, and then I can edit from there. But this went on for over two hours, so I had to break it up into two parts. Didn't want to throw the whole two-hour show at you at one time. So right now, part one of our conversation with Eric Avery at Crying Eagle Brewing over in Lake Charles. You've got goals for your small business. That's why now's the time to level up your marketing with Constant Contact. With powerful tools to find and connect with new customers, manage your social posts and events, and send automated emails and texts, you'll stand out. Stay top of mind and see results fast. Constant Contact's cutting-edge technology makes marketing easy so you can focus on running your business. Start achieving your small business goals with a free trial at ConstantContact.com today. Oh, yeah. You hear yourself good? Yeah, man. Sounds good. Nice. Ah. Check, check. <laughs> what do I do with my hands? Yeah. You put, you put glasses of beer. Oh, in beer. Thank that's, goodness. That's Are we live yet? Uh, yes. Okay. 
Yes, we are, Eric. You don't want me to tell you where Jake can put his hands. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, this is an uncensored podcast, Eric. You can say whatever you like. Well, I haven't had enough beer yet. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. At least you're working on one, though. I'm yeah. working on one. He's working on one, Jay. We're working on four. Well, mine is what is 16. We're yeah. almost there you go. Sure, yeah, yeah. Math. Uh, that's but what I, you do at, uh, at Crying Eagle, though, Chuck. We take flight. We take we flight. We take flight. The eagle has landed. I like it. I was pulling up the other day some of our original launch commercials that we had created. Yeah. And um, just kind of going back to the old days of, like, where we started, some of our launch campaigns, what we did, what was successful, what wasn't. And... um, like to pull some of those up and show you because we'd like to see if we can repurpose because all the beers that we launched with are no longer produced okay except right. very from time to time all of them all I, of I, them. you don't there's none. none of them so the even the uh on our flight boards here chuck and i do have a couple of what what you would call the flagship beers currently, the Louisiana Lager and the Things, things unsettled. unsettled. But those but, were not the beers we yeah, launched with. Neither of those were on the, one the of those, opening menu. Nope. In fact, um, the first beer that we had ever launched was called, ironically, the Chuck. That's right. I remember that beer. I was, like, right. these, I was like, these guys made a beer after me. They made a beer after you. And I don't even know them, but this is and great. We, uh, we had a, a decent run with that beer. Um, but then I don't know if y'all remember this story but it was about I don't know six months after we opened that the Chuck actually was a cream ale right so a a cream ale with a Kolsch yeast so it was it actually resonated pretty well with people but um, I got a letter in the mail from Woodchuck the cidery company saying that you couldn't use the name Chuck. Correct, but we had—I had a trademark on the name Chuck. Okay, but whenever my trademark hit their lawyers, yeah, mm. they said, you know, they're a billion-dollar company. I was a thousand-dollar sure. company. <laughs> right. <laughs> they send their attorneys to start bullying me around. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. Well, it turns out, I can't, uh, I, unfortunately, I learned this from intellectual property lawyers. If you don't actually try to enforce your trademarks and stuff, then then they can use that against you in court. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, of course, that's just how IP lawyers, you know, keep themselves in business. That's right. Because they basically get to be like, well, if we if we don't file something if we don't send a cease and desist letter then they can actually say oh well look they didn't care so that's right so they just keep themselves busy because because they they make it to where they have to file yeah yeah anyway but like just yeah just the name chuck like it would be different if you would like call the call the beer the wood the Chuck, the Wood Chuck, or something yeah. like that, but just Chuck, and they sent right. you a cease and desist. That's from Lake Charles, and I, I, Chuck is a, is it was a, not, a very right. common n- nickname for Charles. It was right. not a cease and desist. You got to remember, we okay. had a trademark on the Chuck. Mm-hmm. They had a trademark on Wood Chuck. Right. They just sent their attorneys to bully us around. Uh. But again, now this has been a long time ago. Yeah. So I doubt any of them are still listening, but. It all worked out in the end to where we came to a mutual agreement where we would stop using that name. Yeah. But it was also, ironically, during that time where we realized that, and I'm going to speak very candidly here, that the three beers we launched with, even the Chuck, were not good. Our packaging... <laughs> was that, was the, the, the Pistol Porter? Was nope, that no, one no, of them? Nope. No. Ready to uh, Mingle, no. yeah. which is a Belgian beer, a Belgian single. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, remember that one. Calcasieu uh, Common, which is a steam beer. I remember that beer. All right, and then the Chuck. All n- we tried to fill the gaps between where the market was. Right. So you know, people had the logger boom hadn't quite hit at that point when we launched, but we tried to kind of get in between like the the blondes and the ambers. We knew that amber, in and of itself, had started to lose market share. 
but so we added a kind of a hoppy amber or a steam beer. Yeah. And then um, and then nobody was doing a Belgian, but Blue Moon was skyrocketing at that point. Yeah. And so we did kind of an offshoot to a Blue Moon, a Belgian singer, a Potter's beer. But at the end of the day, you know, none of us really knew what we were doing. Our beers weren't all that good. Um, our packaging was terrible. It was it was kind of just bland. Bland. It was kind of bland. It was. That's very nice of you. <laughs> it was super fucking boring. Well, it, it just nothing ever. It, nothing stood out about it. It was the thing. No, like it was just. It was just a, a beer can on a shelf. You, you have those pulled up. Do you? Do you, you have that original uh, can design I've got artwork? Them. I can go grab them. Okay. It, it, <laughs> well, hold tight. Yeah, I bet uh, I can Google it. I bet I can. You, you probably could, Chuck. I, I, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember it all that well. I certainly drank some of it from those super early days. Yeah. Uh, of of crying eagle brewing. Yeah, there's the chuck. It's a gold nail. Just yeah. Nothing flat. It's a white can with some say, colors on it. I was gonna say I remember that. I remember the eagle from the ready to mingle because wasn't that one the more like red, white, and blue one? I think so. The, there's the the Calcasieu common. Okay, that, that's very, fairly look, red, white. Yeah. And blue. Here comes Eric with yep. the cans. Yeah. They're just white cans with some color on it. Yeah. Is basically what they. What yeah, they it's, are. it's got the little uh, eagle kind of coming out of the bottom. Uh. Yeah, and I like the eagle design. I did like yeah. that, but there was nothing else because when I first started drinking craft beer and I didn't know anything about craft beer, but me and my buddy Ross would go uh, to the beverage store in Baton Rouge and we would literally just grab bottles by how cool the label, label. looked. And I knew a lot of people that would go to the Bulldog. And drink beer by how cool the tap, tap handle, handle was. So it was all like it, you, you drank with your eyes at, at that point. You just didn't know. I know, Chuck, but but you got to remember, you know, we were we were designing for the moment. Okay. And in 2015, 2016, Miller Lite had started getting uh, resurging. Yep. Almost out of the grave. Yeah. And their can design was white, silver, and just a little bit of coloring. But through their simplicity, they stood out on the shelves. And that was the architecture and what, what okay. I had in my mind. But the problem was is that our cans just simply didn't execute off the shelf. Yeah. They, they just did not pop, and they became invisible. Your tap handles were great. I remember the tap handles. Tap handles were great. Tap handles were awesome. But Yeah, when you're talking about a, a brand like Miller Lite with also you know, multi-million dollar advertising campaigns right. to go behind it and, and the iconic L-I-T-E That's right. trademarked you know, big yeah. bold letters on that very simple design can that's a, that's a throwback to decades of branding behind it yeah. and that, that could stand alone on a shelf whereas right. you but, know, you're, you're trying to put something new out there. But, but what you got to remember, too, gentlemen, is, is that, you know, a beautiful can design, a great tap handle will only get you the first sale. Yeah. Only get you yeah. the first sale. The, the liquid, beer's got to be good. The beer, the liquid's got to be good. And that's where our big problem was because I'll be honest with you, we didn't have myself, my brewmaster at the time, none of my staff had any professional brewing experience. We, I had a vision and I wanted to create something amazing and that, for, that the city of Lake Charles can be proud of, the state can be proud of. And I think I accomplished that with the real estate component, but the beer side, you know, it just, it, it, needed, it needed work, you know? I mean, I can't tell every one of us, even Abita, yeah. Parrish, the Great Raft, they've all had what we call poppers, so cans that pop, bottles that, sure. you know, have issues, batches that have to be recalled, all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? But, but at the same time, you know, if you have too many of those at your early launch, you know, it's just hard to ever recover that that brand equity, you know. First and impression's everything. It is, you know. And so I always felt like we were just kind of starting behind the eight ball because I, di- I didn't go out and invest quite enough in our um, our production processes. Yeah. I have beautiful equipment, but, but nonetheless, you know, we knew that we – we had a, we were leaving a lot of room for improvement. How right, about that? Right. And I just told the guys, it's like, look, in the early days. It's like, look, all we got to do is just get a little bit better every day, just that much better. And over time, that little bit better compounds to massive, massive improvement. You know, 
But the, but the other thing is, is that, okay, we got to try to stop force-feeding the consumers what we think they want. Right. Okay, that works for Apple, and that works for big, big, multi-trillion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. But that does not work for microbreweries, especially those in very, very conservative states like Louisiana. You know, right here, it, it, you know, you really only got three styles of beer, even today, that really sell off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Loggers, IPAs, and fruited or junked up sours. Yeah. Period. You know, if we try to go out there with, you know, some of our taproom bestsellers, like our Belgian Blonde or our Dark Honey Dunkel, you know, those things would turd on the shelf like you wouldn't believe. But yet in our taproom, whenever we can, when my staff or myself or my brewers can actually convey the messaging behind the beers and give them good tasting notes and things like that, then you'll see these beers really start to kind of take off. But once we kind of got into that that mindset of stop force-feeding what we want people to drink and really to survive in the entry, you got to be able to, one, you got to have good can designs. So we started all over. Yes. I hired the, 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 the can developers of Creature Comforts mm-hmm. Brewing yep. at Athens. Um, we developed an IPA, a lager. And a porter, okay? Three, what I would consider very generic styles, but yet super popular styles. And we dis, we completely discontinued our initial three. Those three styles, we saw instantaneous growth. Right. Okay? Not to the levels that put us on par with the, you know, at the time, Parish and Great Raft and Urban South, yeah. you know? But... But basically to where we were being recognized as making good beer. Right. Okay. People were taking notice. People were taking notice, you know. And we, you know, and while we did not and couldn't at the time just continually create new release after new release after new release, which what keeps people, keeps breweries in business, we tried to focus on just consistency. Yeah. No more can poppers on the shelf. No more mixed batches of ABV fluctuations where people feel like and taste like it's a completely different beer. You may not like the, the, you know, the, the, the IPA that we put in the market, okay? At the time, it was called Hot-Blooded. Yeah. But regardless, what we knew is, is that it was going to taste the damn same each and every batch. Yeah. Right. And then that's how we kind of build up. But at the same time, though, gentlemen, what we were noticing in our tap room couldn't be ignored. You know, we obviously we've got a good space here. It's a great space. It's a great space. You know, uh, we I added a, a, a pizza oven, you know. And then we saw our tap room nearly quadruple in sales. Now, I don't think any of us, you know, we're all business guys here, so I think we can understand the difference in margin between taproom sales and production sales. Sure. Major, yeah. major difference, okay? Um, and so our taproom growth just skyrocketed while our distribution growth continued at about a 20 to 30% growth rate year over year. Now, it sounds like a lot, but when you start small, it's really not. Right. Okay? But nonetheless, it was still growing. You know, but um, and I feel like I am taking over the conversation. No, a that's the whole, bit. no, that's what you're but, supposed uh, to be doing. <laughs> but um, but you know, we, you know, we just we kept out offering more and fun and unique opportunities in our tap room, and we just really felt that that was growth. That was was our growth engine. That was where we could control our destiny. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to start bashing on the distributors on the podcast, okay? I mean, you but, can. We do it all the time. I <laughs> it's fine. But I'll be honest with you, but, but my distributor at the time um, was really good to me. They were really good to me, but they knew the hard work and effort that I was willing to, to put in, you know? And, uh, and they reciprocated for me. Um, but as our tap room continued to grow, and we continued to offer fun, unique events and concerts and yoga classes and fundraising efforts and adding on to the bistro and really expanding our menu and making good food, not just having food. A big difference between having really good food, Kobe beef burgers, versus just an 80-20 
right ground patty burger it, yeah you can go buy from the grocery store that's just, right you know and it just you know that the our tap room is really what what helped us survive and and actually was our growth engine to be able to, to to continue to innovate for the market because even though our tap room was growing at that pace in my mind and in my and and what i conveyed to my team was still lead through distribution distribution mm-hmm. distribution let's grow that let's be Let's go into multiple states. Let's conquer. Let's be the number one brewery in the state. You know, unfortunately, it never, it never got to that. Yeah. So when was that decision truly made to, um, to, to really switch the entire business model? It was, um, I would say that it started around 2019. Okay. It was only three years after we, we opened. Right. But what I noticed is, is that the days of, of milking a flagship beer, like what Abita has done with Amber, mm-hmm. what Urban South has done with maybe at the time Holy Roller, now Paradise, Paradise. Park, yeah. um, Great Raft with Commotion and mm-hmm. Parish after, after Canebrake, those days of milking the flagships are, are, were, were quickly vanishing would you say uh, on, a, on a more national but craft level like a like a new belgium fat tire correct because they've changed they're now they're not an amber that's right. anymore. they're an ale that's right well, fat tires now an ale fat tires a, a golden ale. yeah golden ale really yeah. yes the that sample that we had out of the bright tank when we were there yeah. in december that was the new recipe that's why we were like that's why right. is this so why is the color that's so right. different yeah, it's a golden ale now. Because how about that? And it all stems from the fact that not an amber ale. That's right. Of the, their flagship, like or their was that, it was really an amber lager. Is that what it was? It is, an, yeah. or was it it is it a, not an amber. It is a straight it's golden, golden now. ale. Yeah. But think about that. The success that New Belgium had with that beer. Every state they went into, that was the beer everybody wanted. In yeah, Baton Rouge, it was fat tire, fat tire, yeah. fat tire, like yingling until you could get it. Right, and then that's what happened. Like it was so readily available, everybody was like, "Nah, I'm yeah. good. It's, it's an amber. I don't want to drink that." But you know what made craft beer so wonderful is the constantly changing and new beers that they would put out and all that. But it was also led to the demise of the flagship beer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Abita, you know, I don't. I mean, I think they would, I don't want to speak for them, but, you know, Abita Amber was the Goliath. Oh, yeah. State. yeah. And now, you yeah. know, it still is, but it is, but they have a, a robust portfolio of different beers. And that's what you were seeing is just like the constantly changing new beers and constantly be able to put out, you know, sours or, you know, incredible, unique IPAs. And, you know, and to come out and launch into the marketplace any new brand of beer requires tens of thousands of dollars and marketing licensing Mm -hmm. preparations materials all these kinds of things and man it just became counterproductive into where you already took shrinking margins or low margins started shrinking them more because you can't you know in this game it's a volume game you know and if you're focusing on what's the you know the next new release and that jay to answer your question was what was the initial idea it's like you know i'm seeing it's harder and harder to be relevant in the market and distribution and the margins are getting less and less but my tap room is exploding yeah okay and and i am still trying to put a square peg in a round hole by pushing distribution right but regardless regardless I opened this beer, I mean, opened this brewery with intentions of becoming a national brand, you know, and it, you can't just all of a sudden read the writing on the wall and just forego everything that you, your business plan and your model, you know, but it could, I couldn't help think about those ideas. What if I converted, you know, because we'd always heard, man, you, we love your tap room, we love it. We love your beer, but my wife doesn't like beer, you know, so we don't yeah. come here as much and, and we would have... parties that would want to come here and host their event in this space that we're in. But they're like, ooh, you can only sell your beer? 
Oh, I'm sorry, man. Well, we're gonna, you know, we yeah, we, mean, need to, we need to, yeah. you know, and you and you sit there looking at like a party room yeah. of margins, and you're like, oh, boy, it's it's high. Yeah. And so once those ideas start floating around, then you're like, man, you know, you just keep questioning yourself. Well, when the pandemic hits, and I think we all know, in those early phases of the pandemic, you know, I think we all start scratching our head and wondering, what is life going to be like after? Yeah. I know for one, I faced, and I'll be very candid with you, you know, I had routine panic attacks almost every day, every day. And I was, um, I was petrified. I could hardly function. Yeah. Because not only after the pandemic hit, then two hurricanes hit, a snowstorm hit, a flood hit the state, I mean, hit the city. And after a while, you start to think, I just don't know how I can continue making it, you know. But it's during, you know, but after the first COVID, kind of the first COVID wave hit and that closure and the, the whole country and the city and everything, you know, you start to think, you know, after a while, after you start, you know, burying your head in depression, you start to realize, like, I need to get the fuck up and start thinking about my future. Yeah. I'm not a quitter. You know, right. I never have been, never will be. And I was just like, you know, this may be a perfect time to just switch my license and give it a shot. What else do I have to lose? Because yeah. <laughs> at that point, you got to do I'm, something. At that point, I was looking at imminent closure because you know, this is before PPP and right, yeah. ERC money and all that kind of stuff. So you know, like, what the fuck I got to lose? So we did it. I uh, I consulted with at the time um, the ATC commissioner, who was very helpful with me, and um, kept it very confidential, and um, made the conversion. Brought in liquor brought in wine uh got rid of distribution was allowed and you know a very fair amount of time to get my product out of the market but gentlemen what i had saw instantaneously was a 4x against my gross sales four times wow. gross taproom sales so the the pizza oven four four x it and then that four x it again four x it again jeez yeah and then, and then you, you think about the margins. Now, granted, we, you know, we've come off those numbers quite a bit because of, um, well, you know, the hurricane. I mean, when the hurricane hit and destroyed everything, we were the first restaurant, brewery, establishment, bar, anything that reopened. Yeah. And we were the only place to go for a while. Yeah. You know, for six to eight weeks. You know, we've come off those highs, of course, sure, you know, yeah, and as yeah. businesses have opened back up. But nonetheless, we have we have settled into a level of, of um, success here that that without question proves that we made the right decision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the drawback for people like us, Chuck, and, and Baton Rouge and, and people around the state is we can't get Crying Eagle beer uh, at our local um, bars and restaurants and right. supermarkets uh, and liquor stores. Uh, the good news is people can come to Lake Charles and uh, check out all the fun places to go around here and can come to the tap room, come uh, eat and drink at Crying Eagle, and they have more than just beer. Uh, yeah. Although Chuck and I are drinking beer right now, uh, I say let's talk about the beers that we have, okay. and then I've got more questions for Eric as well yeah. uh, about about the, the space that we're in and some stuff that's coming up next. Yeah, so uh, I, I just finished the, the lager. Yeah, the Louisiana lager, Eric, uh, really one of your flagships now here uh, at, at the brewery. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's crisp, clean, yeah. refreshing lager. It is, it is just that. You know, um, there is something to be said about simplicity. It is a uh, what we call a, a rice lager. Okay, yeah. so it is made with uh, the grain bill consists of about 20, 25 percent of flaked rice from our local mill. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, the rest being lager, um, malts, and things of that nature. And um, and of all the beer we sell, and we sell a lot of beer here, we're ranked number 337th largest microbrewery in the country by volume. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Uh, um, man, and there's what? How? 12,000, 15,000 like yeah. from the Brewers Microbreweries, though. Okay. Oh, okay. So we are not, not breweries. Okay, I want to make yeah. that clear. Not so breweries. Not, that's not all craft breweries. No, sir. No, no. We are 337 
of microbreweries. Micro so breweries that do not distribute. Okay. 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 Copy that. Copy. Okay. So we still we actually produce more beer today than we did when we were in distribution. Wow. That's impressive. That That's is. That's impressive. Very much so. But, yeah. but again, you know, one of the great things about not distributing is, is that we can be so supremely creative in our beers or not cre- or crazy, whatever you want to yeah. call it. But, you know, if we want to go out and do a, a pizza-inspired beer or a pickle-inspired beer. JB, all for that one. You should definitely do a pickle-inspired beer. No. <laughs> We'd, it's a, but, but, you know, Chuck, though, we... We, we have the freedom to do it, and we also have the, the support of the community right. who is willing to at, at least respect that what we do. And even though those particular beers make me want to puke, mm-hmm. same. There, are, there are people that it, it still respect what we did and, um, and are willing to come back and see what, what else we can do. But, but when you don't have to, to produce a beer so that it sells at Rouse's, you have a lot more freedom and flexibility to be able to do what you want to do. A lot, le- pr- a lot less pressure as well. A lot less pressure. A lot less pressure. And a lot more margin. Yeah. I mean, th- this tap room that you've built out here is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I was blown away by it by the first, when, the, when I first walked in the doors the first time I came here. Uh, Chuck, this is your first time here since 2018? Since 2018. You're crazy, man. It is. I used to come here all the time when my band played yeah. at the Golden Nugget. We'd do weekends at the Golden Nugget, and then during, like, we play Fridays, Friday and Saturday, and all day Saturday, I'd be like, well, I'm going to go sit at Crying Eagle and go drink beer until I got to go play again. <laughs> and that's what I would do. Right. I'd come sit at the bar and just watch football and just drink beer. And, and you know, even from back then, I mean, we, we are always, always, always trying to improve the space. So yeah. What you see up here in our loft, we just renovated. Yeah. I just finished. Yeah, this, is, uh, this is cool. What this is about a forty thousand dollar renovation. We're adding this furniture right here. Yep. The murals. Now the fans. You know, I know it doesn't look like much, but that big ass fan right there. Yeah. Um, has saved forty percent on my utility bill. I believe really? that. It looked forty. Just 40%. circulating that air. Uh-huh. It's just circulating the air. Yeah. Because while the design you see here with the railing overlooking it's the crazy. tap room is cool. Yeah. But, you know, for like our, our weekends, when the place is packed to the gills, five, six hundred people. Yeah. The heat that coming up here oh, is yeah, unbearable. Can, and imagine. so adding these little unique features that look cool, but also very functional and lower cost. Yeah. At the same time, um, certainly help us. And, you know, 30 percent. Jeez, that's 30 percent. So for just an air movement. for just the air movement. Now, we've got that little big ass little ass fan right yeah. there. <laughs> But yes, so our bill last year in July and August was nine thousand dollars in our, our utility bill. Huh. But what was your bill bill this summer with this, this summer? Heat? <laughs> it was less. six thousand. Really? From the big ass fan. Wow. Six thousand. Wow. So over a thirty percent in uh, decrease. 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 With, with the summer that we just had. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, but wow. uh, but but like I said, we're always we're, we work really really hard to to continue to make the place look unique. Yeah, to add new and fun offerings from beer releases to mocktails to cocktails. We uh, we have a new pizza out that we we collaborated with a local mushroom farmer. Oh, nice. uh, that we did. So it's a uh, what, Jay. What are those uh, mushrooms called? A, a mountain blue, mountain blue oyster. Oyster mushrooms. There are oyster mushrooms. That's a thing. Yep. Um, so we've got a, a, a unique mushroom pizza with a truffle aioli mm, from a yeah. local mushroom farmer. Explode. We do like some mushroom crab cakes. Huh. Anyway, the point is, is that we are always trying to to be unique, be original, add value for every time that people come in here, and it's paying off. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. The the win is ha- definitely having food in the building because we, oh, I, I remember yeah before that you guys were doing like food trucks and pop ups and stuff like that that was and, a failure yeah I mean those are tough those are tough but having, everywhere every brewery that tries to operate like that it's yeah, tough man it just it, it works for some it doesn't work for yeah, others yeah. it just depends yeah but but, um, but for us you know like I said we you know we once that Louisiana Lager was created for us. You know, it was that um, it was that base beer 
that kind of that helped us expand into um, to true success. You yeah. know, that was the point where we realized it's like, okay, this beer is going to be the one that um, that keeps us alive. Right. Maybe even more than that. You know, um, and some fun statistics of that beer too. So we have twenty beers on tap. Every week we change out about two to three of them. Okay, some weeks more, some weeks less. Mm-hmm. But in general speaking, one day a month, today being one of those, we will bring in beers from other breweries around the state. Okay? But all that said, Louisiana Lager represents about 80% of the beer sales here. Okay. 80%? 80%. Beer represents 85% of the alcohol sold here. Okay, so while we serve wine, spirits, and all that kind of stuff, beer is still the king. Right? Beer is still the king. That is what people know us for. Now we just the wine and spirits. Just there's no there's no barrier to entry for those who are bringing a spouse or friends or family that don't like beer. Sure, but it's it's a remarkable statistic on just how eighty percent eighty percent. Of the beer we sell. I mean, I would have never guessed anywhere close to that high. I would, was, I would have said probably it would have been close to like even for me, I would have thought, with sales of wine and spirits and beer. Maybe a little beer, a little bit higher, but not not but, at that. Okay, 80, but, but 85%. I, well, I would have guessed that a brewery like this, 80, 85% beer sales compared to wine and spirits, especially looking at the bar downstairs, how it is. But overall. Of, of the of the beer that is sold, though, Chuck, how much would you have said is the Louisiana lager? Of that one beer. There's 20, that, there's of, 20 beers on tap. Of that one beer, I probably would have said. No, that's tap number one. Right, right. It's going to be the best seller. Yeah. It, it's it, it's it, a lager. It's an approachable it, beer for everyone that it is the f- it afraid is, of it, it, beer. It is the flagship beer. We're in southwest Louisiana. Anybody coming in asking for a lawnmower-type beer, that's it. Yeah. Right? That's what the bartender is going to push first. Um, there, there's, uh, there's some other blondes or other type sure. ales, but like this is the lager, right? I, yeah. I understand. I would have 100% said that's the number one seller. Yeah, but I would have never. Not, not, not at that. Not that I would have said 18 to 20 percent, maybe. Yeah, I, I would have said maybe you know? 30 to maybe pushing 40, 30 to 40 percent. Yeah, for that one beer, and so, I would have said like, yeah, that's high. If yeah. there's any doubt in your mind. You can just ask Urban South, and you know why? Um, how much of their sales are Paradise? No. Oh. How much beer we move here? Because okay. last summer, I think it was last summer, we ran out of Louisiana lager. It just happened. We had a tank failure, and I lost a whole batch of beer. Mm. And it's a lager, so y'all know it's, yep. a, it's an eight-week beer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. an eight-week That's beer. A, yeah, so, lagering process. It, so it takes we, longer. we went two weeks without Louisiana lager, and I filled that gap with Paradise with Park. Paradise. Yep. And I, I'm not sure Jacob Landry can remember, but I'm pretty well, he sure. A lot, so you probably I'm pretty sure <laughs> we went through about 20 half barrels oh, wow. of Paradise Park in a week. Yeah. 20, not the skinny but, you know, barrels, the, the big, yeah. 20 but, half barrels. What, what most people would just call a keg. Right, a yeah. Keg. yeah. That's right. That's that's insane. Look, Paradise Park's a fine beer. It's not oh, yeah. it's yeah. not something I drink often. Well, yeah, it's, it's a beer. It's a beer. Right. It's a beer. So is Louisiana but, Lager. Though. Right, it's a beer. Yeah, it's, but, but the Louisiana Lager, I find, has, has a, more flavor than the Paradise Park. Paradise Park, is, I find, is light on flavor profile. Which is probably what they wanted it to be yeah, to make it more accessible to people out in the market. The, their beer is going to be far. If our Louisiana Lager was back in the market, there, I'll tell you one thing: we would not be able to compete with Paradise Park. That beer is made for as a suitable craft replacement for Michelob Ultra. Yeah, for sure. Our Louisiana Lager at still four point seven five four four and a half four point seven five percent. Is still a little too. I know it sounds crazy, but a little too robust of flavor. Mm, sure, yeah. To compete with a Miller Lite. Yeah. Yep. Plain and simple. 
but again, Paradise Park's branding is yeah. also incredible. Oh, too, they, you know? they absolutely crushed but, it with that. And I mean, and then they released the Paradise Park 100. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. To, to really be like, oh, okay, yeah, That's Michelob right. Ultra, let's do That's it. That's right. Yeah. But, it, but it, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's astonishing once you think about just how much of the sales volume in our tap room is just that one yeah. beer. Yeah, that's insane. Now follow closely second to that is the uh, which a beer y'all may the, have been the, the Hefeweizen, the the, the, the Creole Hefeweizen. Well, no, is the that, next one is or our are we things, going to the, the, things unsettled. Yes, oh, yeah, the we IPA. have that in yeah. front of us as well, okay. and that's yeah, that's probably that that would be it would probably be my number one consumed beer here. Yeah, it I probably is. In fact, of all the times that I have come to this tap room, it probably is the beer that I have consumed yeah. the most of. And and that's the beer that uh, the IPA that we always have on tap. Um, now we have that's in my beer. opinion, okay, um, IPAs that I like more. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Uh, because that you know the things unsettled, it's got certain hops and character profiles that that uh, that are very standard that people look for when they want an IPA. Right. Okay. However, there are certain brewing techniques, certain hop profiles, certain yeast that are coming out now that, in my opinion, are helping make for even better IPAs. Mm-hmm. And some of our one-offs and things like that um, are, are, quite, are quite good, yeah. you know. But we do have a lot invested in that, um, in that beer. And so people, um, you know, they come here, they like it. It's what they, again, it's what they know. It's what they're comfortable with on an IPA. We have made, I'll be honest with you, we have tried to make subtle changes where we feel the beer is a little bit better. Yeah. And it is instantly uh, declined (laughs) by the consumer. Wow. Mm. That's right. How about that? Uh, And even scenarios, and I'll be honest with you, this is what happens in a craft brewery. I I don't think many people will admit this to you, but we still fuck up. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so a ba- our last batch of things unsettled, okay, which is our number two selling beer, for whatever reason, maybe it was a flow meter, maybe it was something, but it came in at 5.8% ABV. Things unsettled that you're drinking is 6.5% ABV. Same yeast, same malt, yeah. same hops, just a little, just a few more points shallower. And you would think, all right, nobody's going to notice. The first night that <laughs> we, we put it out, it was sent back five times in one evening. Okay, so the consumer wow. knew better. Okay, the consumers knew better. I don't know if I'd send it back. I'd be like, all right, well, this tastes a little different, but I'm, I'd probably still drink it. They did. I mean, I've done that with beers before. I'm just like... Something doesn't. T- this doesn't taste like it normally does. Maybe it's like an old keg, or I, I, I contributed the, to that. It was. It was super fresh, though, Chuck. The yeah. thing is, is that you know we didn't. At that point, we didn't think it was necessary to tell the bar staff that there was any difference between the two batches. Sure. And so we just let it roll. Just, as, just and, almost like an experiment. Like let's just see what happens. Well, yeah, because the beer was still really good. Right. And in and in. And in my opinion, I may have liked it maybe a touch more. Yeah. Because it, you know, it brought the ABV down. Right. You know, I. I right, it might have been. It might have been better. Yeah. I love beer, and I hate when I have to stop it too. To be honest with you, you know. <laughs> That's why me and Jay never stop. It yeah. Too. Right. Well, <laughs> don't you know? do it. No. And so, um, the bartenders came to us and they, they they presented the issue, and so we were like, "Yeah, the ABV was a little off. Didn't know people would notice." And so we pull the beer off the taps, okay, and then have, or will be, now we have not launched this out, but we are coming out with little things. Yeah, there you go. Little things, okay? okay? You've got to rename it. uh, (laughs) We've renamed it because apparently that just, that slight shift in ABV only was enough for people to notice. Yeah. Okay. But, um, hey, that means you have loyal customers. Right. Very loyal customers. That drink that beer and know when it is just off by a hair. They know. And and again, while we have, in my opinion, come out with so many different types of IPAs, um, so many really good IPAs, Mm -hmm. some of them maybe not as good, but people still, you know, we just, there's no competing against our flagship beers and here. And while I don't have the statistics on what things unsettled, what percentage of our sales 
or that beer, yeah, it is uh, it is the number two seller here. Yeah. Right. Okay, but a distant second. Um, now the other beer you've got. Okay, so well you have two more. Yeah, the yeah. the Hefeweizen. I got to drink faster. Then, We've uh, got a uh, yep. So the the third one is called Creole Half Wheat. Okay, I like that one a lot. I'm yeah. not I'm not normally a big Hefe fan, but I do like that one. Yeah. That's right. But so let me give you a little backstory. So I convert to a microbrewery in 2020. At the beginning of 2021, the, my brewmaster, who was the brewmaster upon our founding, told me he was leaving. He had he was going to open his own brewery, and um, was it Brobridge in Texas? Is that Brobridge? Uh, uh, Brobridge is uh, is between Lafayette and Baton Rouge. Nope, nope, so, um, so in Texas. No, it's in between Beaumont and here. Um, uh, <laughs> It was in Beaumont and here, Orange, Port <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> uh, Port, well, it's not far from there. Let me see. It's called Hop Avenue Brewing. Okay. Okay, so. Well, that can't be far away. Nope. No, no. Let me see here. Tell you what, since we've started. Like, Bridge City. Bridge, Bridge City. City. Yeah, no. yeah. Okay. I, I see get, I see signs for that. I know, yeah. but I get them mixed up. Bro Bridge, Bridge City, same thing. Yeah. Since we've started, this nice little crowd has uh, shown up Yeah, here. absolutely. I, I, see, I, I believe you got some music coming. At, I saw a guy walking with a guitar. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Getting some live music tonight. Yeah, I like so, it. So my brewmaster at the time, Bill Munga, he leaves, opens up his own brewery in Bridge City. Yeah, Bridge City, Texas. Yep, Bridge City, Texas. I bring in a guy named Ryan O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Ryan O'Donnell was had been working on opening his own brewery in Mandeville, right next hmm. to Old Rail, for years. It was called Grand Derangement. I want to say I've, I yeah. remember something about that. I'm well, sure Chuck, you had heard about if it. If you yeah. have gone to any homebrew or any beer fest, which God knows we all have. Yeah, yeah. So I, I he probably was, had his beer. You have had his beer. And he and I struck a bond because he's just, it was always so engaging, so interesting. Yeah. And he was so dedicated to the to the industry. And he was going to open his brewery. He had just run into a few roadblocks during the pandemic like we all did. Sure. Well, when Bill, my brewmaster, was leaving, I reached out to Ryan and actually convinced him to move over here and be our brewmaster here. Wow, okay. So he's been our brewmaster. Now, Ryan... He takes a very different approach to brewing. Okay, Ryan has. Uh, if you'll try a lot of his beers, they are very culinarily inspired. So, like the Creole Half Wheat, that is a that is a Ryan O'Donnell beer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you remember it's got uh, orange peel, yep. lemon zest, and coriander all in the beer, and so it's got a now Hefeweizens, as y'all know have very floral aromatics to them anyway but this beer is set apart a little bit because of the i mean as you know the spices and the and the and the fruits that are going into the beer yeah and all his beers so like an extremely popular ipa that we do here we pulled it off the tap list today to make room for those other beers is called his juice bar so it's an ipa with your traditional hops you know you got your citra you got your mosaic and um, you got some Amarillo in there, hazy IPA, mm-hmm. okay. But it's got carrot juice, it's got ginger puree, yes. And what? Uh, and it is it is as orange as my water bottle here. Oh, like a can of carrot flowers. It is a I'm I know. It. Yeah. And it is um, sensationally successful. Huh. And a lot of his beers... Man, I'm sad like, that's not on top I know, right me now. too. <laughs> like, I want to try that. His, uh, even his sours. So he's got one... Well, unfortunately, that one was pulled too. It's called That's Bay. So it's a uh, it's plum, apricot, and bay leaves in a sour beer. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say you used OB in there or something. Yeah, OB, <laughs> right? So, you know, there, you know, tremendous differences between our two brewers um, from our opening to today. But I feel that... Um, you know, and the great thing about brewers, you know, you know, is that it's just the way that they brew. You know, they they live, they love, and they almost worship what they do. Yeah. Okay. But some of them take. I'm trying to think of a good a good way to put this, you know, they they're very protective of of how they brew. Sure. 
what those they recipes are their babies. It's they're like, their it's babies, their you know. And some Bill was a very traditional brewer. Okay, yeah. um, the idea of making an ice cream and pineapple beer. He wouldn't would have, have been, that. He wouldn't have. That. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Ryan, you know, he thrives on those fun, unique beers. So when yeah. when a beer that will maybe I can score us one. It's a uh, it's coming up on tap next week, but it's called Pineapple Our Day. So it's a soured Our beer, Pineapple Our Day, and so it's a it's a soured beer with with fresh pineapple juice uh, and um, an ice cream powder. And it when every time we have right. made it, it rockets yeah. out of here. And we're talking ten barrels of beer yeah. that last a week. Jeez. Okay, I mean that's yeah. um. It's hard to put into in, into perspective, and that's not canned beer. That is just tap beer. Yeah, that's on tap. So, Creole halfway, and then the last beer that you have in front of you is called our dark honey. Dark honey is yes. a very, uh, it's a it's a um, a German style dunkel, so kind of a uh, an amber esque beer, but it does have honey in it and ryan ferments and conditions with honey in a lot of his beers all pasteurized okay you know but he likes as we all do too we like the finish that honey can give to a beer we we've sourced it from a local honey farm here and our dunkel as a, has been a an extremely popular beer and one that will be one of our flagship beers for our new location that we will be opening up here soon. Yeah. That we'll soon talk dun, about. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yep. That's what we call foreshadowing, kids. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Record scratch. <laughs> new location. Yeah, this is nice. I like this. The honey isn't like super upfront on it, but it's there. No. Yeah, it's, it's a nice uh, it's a nice drinkable beer. Yeah. It's got, but it's got that little, little, little bit of honey. Yeah, like right on the back end. You get that. Speaking of which, those flights look pretty bare. We need to refill those. Yeah, guys. that's uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. Why don't we uh, <laughs> just hit the pause button and okay. uh, come back with a couple dark beers? A couple and, more pause. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Let's let's get ourselves some pause. Some pause. And that seems like a perfect spot, I guess you can say, to close the taps for part one of the ABV podcast from Crying Eagle with owner Eric Avery and Jay Dakota. Uh, the next episode will be out in a few weeks, so be on the lookout for that. Meanwhile, if you need to refresh yourself with past episodes, you can find them all available online on all the streaming platforms. You can find it over at Apple Podcasts. You can find it at Spotify, Google Play, Audible, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can find the ABV podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I am Chuck P. Cheers. Cheers.